2: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: It was the best of time. It was the worst. She was the people's princess. A fight on the beaches.
1: Oh, wait, man. These are the things that made England. Crystal
0: fight on the landing ground. These
1: are the things that made I England. Have a body but of a weak and feeble an woman.
0: These are the things that made England. And the
1: King of England too. These are the things
2: that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St George! These are the things that made England. Hello everyone
0: and welcome once more to The Things That Made England. This is episode two on the English Bun. As last time, this is a team effort and I am therefore once more joined by Fiona. Hello Fiona.
2: Hello, David, and I'm delighted to be here with you discussing wonderful buns.
0: (laughs) Yes, wonderful buns. Yes, whose buns are we discussing? No, uh, you know, old joke, obviously. So today uh, we are going to talk about uh, um, a few buns, and one of the buns I'm going to talk about, I have just christened the Queen of the English Bun. Uh, I've called it the Queen of the English Bun because it's my favourite bun of all time, which is the lardy cake.
2: Hmm.
0: So let me tell you something about the lardy cake. Although actually, before I do, yes. So here we go. The I'm reading from Elizabeth David, Fiona, and this is actually the index. Okay, because obviously I went to the Elizabeth David to see for a recipe or whatever and find out about it. And so here is the entry. It made me laugh. Lardy cakes. Okay, there's a number of different numbers, fine pages. Then there are some subheadings. So, larder cakes, fat in, page 462, Hampshire, 462, right. health hazard from 461. <laughs> that made me laugh. So, this is kind of the nuclear cake, the nuclear bun uh, of English cooking.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So, shall I? Well, let's, let's find I'm out why. for it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, exactly. That's the point, isn't it? So the lardy cake is more like a cake than a cheesecake is. But I need to point out that since a cheesecake is nothing like a cake at all, the bar is set quite low. (laughs) So the lardy cake is not really a cake either. It's a bun. So, uh, as I said, Elizabeth David's book oozes with disapproval for the lardy cake. Oozes, I tell you, Fiona, like lard from a freshly baked cake. What an appropriate... Use of words
2: oozes.
0: (laughs) He does absolutely very. uh, I took a picture actually, which I because I made some lardy cakes, Fiona. I can reveal to you and to the general public, I have made some lardy cakes the other weekend, and oh, they're all gone now. Then, well, then I've frozen some of them because I'm a bit worried about Elizabeth David's disapproval, and I'm worried that I'm going to die. So, her description here's her description of what the lardy cake is. Based on a bread dough, oozing with fat, sticky with sugar, often further enriched with dried fruit, lardy cakes are just about as undesirable from a dietitian's point of view as anything one can possibly think of. Every lardy cake should carry a health warning.
2: There you go. Wouldn't that be be a wonderful epitaph, though? Died of lardy cake.
0: Yes. Now that would, wouldn't it? Yes, I think I'd aspire to that. Hmm. Anyway, they use this thing. I, I did the, I made the lardy cake, and I've taken a picture, which I'll put everybody of the sort of caramel that forms around the bottom of the lardy cake when you take it out of the toven. This sort of oh, um, lardy, uh, sugary, fruity sort of mess at the bottom—absolutely fantastic.
2: But you know, I think that I'm wondering whether modern dietitians would be as harsh on the lardy cake uh although because although it does have plenty of lard in it it doesn't i don't think it has as much sugar as a lot of other gun buns guns <laughs>
0: <laughs> guns buns uh, <laughs> as, well actually i must admit i might have agreed with you i thought i would have agreed with you uh if we were doing this a week ago right it's your fact when what you do is you you make your you you, you you make your dough and you roll it out in a square and sort of stretch it out into a square and then you put your your lard uh, in little cubes all over it and then you put your fruit in little cubes all over it and then you put your sugar on then you roll it up um, and the way this recipe did it you sort of cut it into slices end on so and the amount of sugar i put on Fiona, was quite her- horrific.
2: What was it really? Oh. So although it doesn't
0: have sugar, you know, <laughs> very publicly put on the top of it, mm, it's got plenty of sugar too.
2: All right. Well, yeah, maybe but, I'm wrong. Yeah, well, mm, no. yes. May, it, what? what's the secret of a good lardy cake? Do you eat it just straight out of the pan? Oh,
0: it was lovely warm. It was absolutely fantastic. Jane and I um, sat there eating it and then I had to stop. Uh, Otherwise, you know, we'd be dead right now. Um, And warm, it's lovely. But, you know, it's really nice cold as well. I mean, it's just fantastic. The the key, presumably, is the lard. So Elizabeth David also says the secret of a good lardy cake is to turn it upside down after baking so that the lard can soak through. Seriously,
2: you've got to like lard. (laughs) Well, I do. Although I'm going to come back in defence of things Mm -hmm. such as the lardy cake um as as many of our listeners know it as you know i used to work as a shepherd and you know i think i'd I'd forgotten that good lord yes and honestly i think that a fatty staple like this was really designed for the kind of work that i used to do i would get to the farm early in the morning seven o'clock in the morning and then i'd be out in the fields all day and i would walk Miles, miles and miles and miles, and have to have some kind of food and thermos of tea in the tractor or in my pocket and so i didn't i for a start i couldn't graze eat, which is very popular mm. these days you know where you have lots of little snack lots of eating eating during the day um I just couldn't um, and then I was I, anything I ate i I walked off. I was in better. I ate worse <laughs> yeah. than I do now. I ate fatty things. I ate pasties. I ate. I. I ate things like lardy cakes. I always had them with me. Things like this, and I didn't eat the fruit and cheese. One might imagine. Yeah. Um. And but I would be walking it off. I mean, I'd be walking miles over hills each day. So I think this is the kind of food that sustains the labourer.
0: I think you're, you're very right. Now, just, I mean, I would love to be doing that, Fiona, obviously running multiple miles every day rather than sitting in a lonely way in my nice warm shed. Uh, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. So they were designed originally for different uh, times of, of life. Having said that, the one of the things about the lardy cakes, actually, is that they're it's a performance bun, if I can use that phrase. Um, this is not just for your average day as it were, the lardy cake was designed originally anyway for special occasions, for times of feast, um, harvest celebrations in particular but maybe also family festivals. So you know while it's true that we're talking about healthy outdoorsy kind of lives uh, for this particular fatty staple, this particular fatty staple, they're not envisaged as something you'd stuffed your face with during your lunch break, this is Something you saw? Wow! Hey, we've got this lardy cake for this big festival.
2: Where does the lardy cake originate? That is a great question, and a
0: quite quite a bit of argument about this. Obviously, there's lots of counter arguments about it. Mainly fought over, interesting enough, by southern counties, which I thought was a bit counterintuitive because I don't know. I've always associated lard with the Midlands or the, or the North uh but no it, but it's possible
2: everything with the midlands
0: <laughs> <laughs> people don't associate anything with the midlands fair and you know it damn well they just move over it
2: and yeah. until they've until they've met you and royfield yeah. brown
0: mm. <laughs> absolutely right we're fighting the and cause then, of the and midlands then we
2: learn thing. that the garden of eden was in the midlands
0: is that right yes i'm sure it was just what just off the m1 um Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely right. So, okay, there are many arguments. So, so Hampshire, Wiltshire uh, seem to be in a narrow lead, but there are harvest cake recipes from all over, essentially. So, Suffolk, Northumbria, Gloucestershire, Sussex, Wiltshire. So, they seem to have come from you know all over, basically, rather than being a particular part of. Um, uh, of the uk of england
2: i would i would suggest that they were obviously popular in areas where there are a lot of pig farms yes, and there's so. a lot of lard although i have been told that lardy cakes show up at buckingham palace picnics
0: is that right do you know it's interesting i wouldn't have seen them as particularly genteel although when i saw sort of went through all the recipes there were some where they'd really tried hard to make them genteel and it seems to me What's the point in having a lardy cake that's been spruced up,
2: or
1: that you have you to know. eat with a fork?
0: Yes, quite. Something you have to eat with a fork. You, we're looking, we're looking for lard here. It's without the lard, it's not lardy cake. Essentially, it seems obvious, you know. But I would hate people to leave this podcast with any illusions. Uh, there are some versions of lardy cake. If I may mention one, the Sussex Plum Heavy, which is a delightful name for a bun. Uh, it's a small lardy roll with currants, effectively. Uh, on the principle that eating lots of small things is better, better than eating one large thing, uh, because they're small cakes and they have therefore have, presumably have a larger surface area. So I would hope you get more lard. So they sound <laughs> like a suitable alternative. The Sussex Plum Heavy.
2: It sounds like something eaten by a Sussex farm wife. It does. Which my great grandmother was. I wish she was still around so I could ask her.
0: (laughs) I am sure she would have done it. She was a a tractor girl, was she?
2: I mean, she was a farm girl. She was a farm girl from Sussex. So, yes.
0: (laughs) Farm girl. Ah, Sussex. Very good. Right. So, the next yeast bun I have to tell you about
2: is the Cornish saffron cake. Oh, my. Now you're talking. I love saffron. And I love both saffron cakes and saffron buns. They're both, saffron buns are particularly my favorite. And it's always my first purchase when I go to Cornwall, which is somewhere I love and and go to and have visited all my life. Um, I marginally prefer saffron buns to cake because saffron buns, I believe I'm, I believe I'm right. I'm I'm not I'm no expert. I'm just an expert at eating them. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right mess. kind of
0: expertise. I had to tell you, Fiona, that unlike you, I have never knowingly had a saffron cake
2: or bun. Oh dear. You really are missing out.
0: I am. I am. Well What's maybe good? as a result of this I could I could make one.
2: Absolutely, if you can afford yes. the saffron.
0: And actually this one. It seems to be quite near the top of Elizabeth David's list of love. She kind of waxes uh, quite poetical about it, whereas she's waxed quite, you know, you're going to dine us with uh, the lardy cake. With the saffron cake, she seems to be full of enthusiasm.
2: She obviously had a very delicate palate because it does. The taste of the saffron isn't overwhelming. It's not obvious. um, But if you have a good palate, you can taste the saffron. Saffronism is amazing it's 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 from the stigma of the saffron crocus the saffron crocus is a very pretty pink uh purple-y pink flower um it and uh, the orange red threads have to be hand picked and you, there's no machinery that can do it so you can't grow them in vast fields and and take a take any kind of tractor equipment in. They have to be hand-picked, and the red threads need to be hand-separated. It's a labor-intensive job, and obviously the saffron is seasonal. It is the most expensive spice in the world. It is grown in England. It was grown in saffron Walden in Essex, and I believe it's grown still in Cornwall. It might still be grown in saffron Walden, I don't know, but it's always grown in small patches. And it last time I checked, it was seven pounds, seven pounds sterling per gram, or nine dollars per gram. And a gram of saffron will make about forty saffron buns.
0: Okay, maybe I won't make saffron buns. I mean yes, actually, I have always associated saffron with saffron Walden in Essex because uh, it's specialized in growing it, didn't they in the middle ages. Um, uh, and of course, saffron Walden is English, which Cornwall, of course, is not, as you know. No, so
2: Cornwall is a Celtic nation Cornwall is a Celtic nation.
0: Indeed, and not English. So I should not, although, of course, the English, as you know, are also Celtic. <laughs> so anyway, I won't get into myself in trouble with the corns. But um, saffron was, as you say, apparently grown in Cornwall. Apparently it was once bought from Phoenician traders in return for Cornish tin, obviously one of the great Cornish exports.
2: That makes tremendous sense because the the whole of the West Country Cornwall, Devon, Somerset did a lot of trading with the Phoenicians right back, back, way back when. So that makes sense.
0: Does indeed, yeah. And I had a look around on the interweb just to see whether saffron is still being grown in uh, Cornwall. And apparently it is. So I came across a, a company in Roseland where they're making saffron right now. So if you're going to buy some saffron, go and buy it on the interweb from Roseland or you can go to Roseland. OK, so in outline, the ingredients are yeast, flour, butter, sugar, sultanas and currants, milk, nutmeg, cinnamon, and a mixed spice with saffron filaments added. Elizabeth David's top tip is to use the whole filament, not ground saffron, and soak them overnight. Just note for self. Then you're bread making with a, a sugar and milk glaze when you take it out. Apparently best eaten hot. So
2: tuck in. Eat it directly. <laughs> <As> they in <say>, Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> my Ansem. <handsome. laughs>
0: my Ansem, all right, my lover. Now, I should mention that there is inevitably a Devonshire alternative. The debate is not as hot as the disagreement between how to serve scones properly as to how to eat your uh, saffron bun. But the debate is there. I think there is less yeast in the Devonshire version.
2: Mm. That River Tay divides two counties and two peoples. And it will ever be so. (laughs) It
0: does appear to be the case, I must admit. A few short miles makes quite a difference. So that is the saffron bun, the Cornish saffron bun, and uh, with its Devonshire saffron bun alternative. So on to the third bun. uh, And of all buns in the world, all the bun cookery world over from corner to corner, from all the exotic choices of... Danish pastries, French tarts, American donuts, baklava in all its forms in various parts of Europe and North Africa. All these delicious, artistic and carefully wrought confections. There is one bun, which I have had about a billion times more frequently than all of these put together. The name of that blessed bun, Fiona, ladies, gentlemen, is the Uriah Heap of buns, the iced bun.
2: Now, why did you call it Uriah Heep? Because he was ghastly.
0: Well, there you go. See, I was looking uh, for a character in literature who was famously nice and humble to equate with this iced bun.
2: Yes, but he's famously neither humble nor...
0: <laughs> Indeed. So, I mean, all I come up, up with was Uriah Heep, who, of course, went around saying that he was, you're very humble, you're very humble, sir. But as you say, he was not... He nice that he wasn't. Yes, I did, in fact, put it up on the interweb. And ask for suggestions as literary characters that people would associate with a nice bun. And actually, there was some genius there, I have to say. So, we're well, from Bianca that described it as humble, beautiful, and always pleasing, and well-mannered in any company. So that's great. So we're oh, looking like something like that. Uh, Phyllis suggested Verity Poldark. Also oh, good. That... Oh, I don't know Verity.
2: Oh, Verity's lovely. Yes. Yeah.
0: So Phyllis tells me that she was a popper and everyone liked it. So oh, there we Emily go.
2: Oh, her, but she's Cornish, so... <laughs> right. Well, the corns probably eat, bun, eat ice buns. Absolutely eat yeah. ice buns, absolutely. But Verity Poldark is a lovely contender.
0: There you go. So that's uh, ice bun-like. Uh, somebody called Elizabeth was rather harsher on the simple iced bun. Mr Wickham, she said, uh, from... Pride and prejudice, I suppose, uh, superficially sweet and nice, and looks like it belongs on the upper tier of the cake stand. But once you get below the surface, disappointing, ill-bred, Aww. and lacking substance. I feel hurt oh, on behalf. I, of the oh, ice bun.
2: I feel hurt on behalf of the ice bun. I, I love the ice bun. I would proffer that it might be a Harriet Smith. From ah, so this
0: is another Jane Austen, right? Okay. Another Jane
2: Austen um and and I think of the I think of the iced bun if it has a gender as female mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um because of that lovely little bit of icing sugar, but not too much uh uh-huh. and and uh, but Harriet Smith now she was a creature she really was humble, but she had small aspirations to be someone greater, just as the iced bun is simple and humble but with that little light addition of icing just a little elevated.
0: Very good, yes. Uh, I take your point, although it was Emma's fault, really, with Harriet Smith, wasn't it? I mean, you know, she didn't have pretensions until Emma got hold of her.
2: No, she, she didn't have pretensions until oh, Emma right. got hold of her. Just as some ice buns don't have pretensions True. until you're going to tell us about somebody else who... Yes,
0: yeah, so I'm going to tell you about. I mean, you need, to li- you need to lie down, Fiona, when I come to the bed. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you the sum of indignities visited upon the iced bun. So the ice bun and I actually Fiona, have a deeply personal relationship. It's important to me, the ice bun, you know, we, we love each other. So when I went hunting for recipes, in fact, I was slightly horrified. This is where you have to lie down with all the liberties taken with the ice bun. Because as far as I'm concerned, the rules about ice bun are strict. OK, Fiona, it must be in a finger format, not round or any such like. Exactly. The icing must be plain white sugar icing. None of your fancy pink stuff. Of course. Keep that for your fondant French fancies, Fiona. Um, We don't want that fancy type performance cooking here. We're not talking about performance here. We are talking about stuffing your face with a sticky bun.
2: Absolutely. And not too much icing sugar. It doesn't want to be flattered.
0: I, I think you're probably... A more refined person than I am, as far as I can say. <laughs> too much icing is an oxymoron and a contradiction in terms. Okay, uh, I have no oh. idea how you have too much icing. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did actually see a recipe from Paul Hollywood. You know, he's the, great, oh, the great, famous great,
2: Liverpudlian with the blue eyes and
0: the—that's right,
2: yeah, yeah, him. America him through the the great what is called in America the great. British baking show I think
0: right yes I think right. it's, yeah um indeed so obviously he was trying to you know make the iced bun more exciting so he I saw he put this recipe and it made made me personally I had to lie down for an hour because okay. it had cream and jam in the middle what? And it was yeah cream and jam in the middle and it was what? covered cream and jam in the middle and it was what? covered with hundreds and thousands what yes
2: that's, that's vulgar.
0: You're right. That's, yeah, that's, you're right.
2: You might as well have an American donut. It won't work with a cup of tea.
0: I have to say I rather like American donuts, but, but I take your point. As far as the iced bun is concerned.
2: I do yeah, too, that in right. their place. Yeah.
0: But an American
2: donut does not work with a nice cup of tea, and an iced bun works beautifully with a nice cup of tea. Do
0: you know what the right place is for an American donut? In America? In, in my stomach. Okay. But I totally agree with that, Paul. For shame, Paul Hollywood. Uh, for shame. Go and wash your mouth out with soap and water.
2: Uh, what's um, the yeah. point of all that additional stuff?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely right. We're looking for a basic, straightforward verity of a bun.
2: Absolutely.
0: Elizabeth right. Dave doesn't even bother to mention it, it's got to be said. So, you know, it's not, it's not a performance bun, is what I'm
2: saying. Really, that now that really surprises me that she doesn't yeah. even no, mention it. Not even interested in because the ice bun. when I was young, going to the baker's, as I, as you do when you're yeah. young, it, the ice bun was the sort of bog standard.
0: Absolutely top everyday. of the list, isn't it? Your mum went shopping, bought home ice buns. You know, don't mess around with it. You know, all the other complicated stuff. Here's an ice bun. You know, put that in your gob, son. Get on with it. So, how to cook a nice bun? I've got some detailed instructions here, Fiona. You. Is your pen poised? Are you ready? I am ready. Yeah. So, uh, the principle is, which I used to use when I was a thrusting young exec with an "I" in the name of my car, Fiona <laughs> JDI baby JFDI. Okay, that's the principle of cooking a nice <laughs> bun. So, here's a, four steps. Number one, make a finger bun. Number two, smash some sugar icing on top, not too little. Number three, split it, put butter inside. Number four, stuff your face till the children come home and then say, sorry, you didn't have time to make any today.
2: <laughs> no, but butter, really? You need butter? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't need butter on my iced bun.
0: Have we had the discussion about
2: everything being better with butter? And, and I normally agree with you. I normally absolutely agree with you. I right. just don't need butter on my iced bun.
0: Right. Well, I'm disappointed in you, Fiona. I, you know i sorry about I that. Yes. Yeah, I should be writing a letter in strongly worded terms to my MP later. Okay. So we're done with the iced bun, and we're moving on to the toasted tea cake.
2: Ah, oh, there's That's wonderful. wonderful.
0: It is a stalwart, you have to say, of the English bun, the toasted tea cake. I guess the reason for that is they're just essentially spiced buns, a bit like your bath bun, I suppose. Though, in my experience, the tea cake doesn't have any sort of kind of sugar coating. We used to call them currant buns when I was little, which gives you a pretty good idea of their construction, to be honest.
2: Now you're talking on arrival home to Britain... Which is whenever I can. I have a three part food tradition. Right. My first breakfast is always a full English. And as I usually arrive in either Bristol or Manchester at breakfast time, it's my very first meal home. And black pudding with the breakfast or no? No, I'm not keen on black pudding, I'm afraid. That's probably because I worked on farms.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you saw them being distracted. Yes. I know
2: all about. Making, yeah. I know all about sausage making. Yeah, so um, I don't want to know
0: any more about that. Thank you. Move on.
2: Um, move on. <laughs> <laughs> Supper that first night, oh, yeah. whether it's a Friday or not, is fish and chips. Excellent, good choice. From the local chippy. Yeah. And at tea time, my first day home, must have toasted tea cakes. Uh,
0: yes.
2: Love the toasted tea cake, oh. and I'm going to digress here a little. It occurred to me that Americans don't really have a wide range of buns. Um, here in Pennsylvania, they do have one or two rather excellent ones, the Fassnacht. On mm-hmm. um, We've just had them on Shrove Tuesday, right. which is a kind of Pennsylvania-Deutsch potato donut.
0: Uh-huh.
2: The donut, of course.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, the The English muffin, which I know we're going to talk about later. Yeah. And something that I have to admit Americans do absolutely brilliant, which is the soft pretzel, which was born here in Pennsylvania. And it is a joy to behold and to eat. But otherwise, they don't really have a wide range of buns. And um, I was pondering as to why. And I think it's the clue, and which is why I thought about it, is in my tradition, my first day home. They don't have tea time.
0: Uh, Seriously.
2: They don't have that time of day Mm. between the midday meal and the evening meal when one sits down with a good cup of tea and a small something to nibble on. Americans tend to have, Americans tend to graze, eat a little bit here, a little bit there during the day. Mm. No tea time, no occasion for tea cakes.
0: Mm. I do agree. The tea time in a kit in my particular idiom as well. I was reading Shashi Tharoor's hatchet job on the British Empire, uh, and I can remember that he, all he gave the Brits credit for was just two things. Firstly, the game of cricket, an Indian game accidentally invented by the English, as he describes it, and the great British tea. So there we go. We are The, the empire has been good for one thing, at least.
2: Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> thank
0: goodness for that, all that effort. And poof. One thing, all right.
2: So with the toast team cakes,
0: there once more uh, seems to be a fair amount of proud regionalisation going on. There's a version in Kent called the Kentish huffkin, uh, although two words of warning here, you might want to make sure you don't confuse it in any way with the Urban Dictionary's definition of Hufkin.
2: Seriously, so like, Fiona. I a- shouldn't look that word Yeah, up.
0: really don't. Seriously, in the words of Huey Green, and I mean this most sincerely, I have seen recipes describing a huffkin as a flatbread, on the other hand. Uh, in some parts of the world, beyond the Trent, essentially, it's basically a bap, or cob, as we used to call them in the glorious heart of England, i.e. the Midlands, so a bread roll, essentially.
2: Now, the Kentish Huffkin was developed in Faversham or the Faversham area quite a long way back around about the reign of Henry VIII. But the thing about Faversham, it's not in Kent, is it? Oh, yes. Faversham? It's in Kent. Oh, I thought I was in Surrey. No.
0: All right, okay. Yeah, oh, keep heaven. going. I'm, I
2: stand corrected. Great. I tell you what, one of our listeners, Paul Godden, is out for you now.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Actually, I'm thinking of. Um, you're
2: thinking of um, Farnham? Farnham! No. That's what
0: I'm thinking of. You're a, I yeah. formally apologise. Kent.
2: Favisham. Favisham. Yeah. So some stories have it that King Henry VIII enjoyed eating huffkins with a locally made cherry jam when he was courting that most famous maid of Kent, Anne Boleyn. And that is as it is Favisham, it is, strictly speaking, a huffkin of Kent, not a Kentish huffkin uh, yes trust me as a child i lived near canterbury uh-huh. and i know faversham well and i was thus considered a maid of kent myself to add to all my other varied titles We're
0: get to those.
2: <laughs> the huffkin is a simple bread bun but it is distinguished as it has a large dimple created by a thumbprint in the middle Mm -hmm. The story, the folklore around the Huffkin, goes that a weary farmer's wife of Faversham was frustrated after a long day's work when her husband, who was no doubt a Kentish man and not a man of Kent, he probably dared to ask her what exactly she had been doing all day.
0: Ouch.
2: In a fit of pique, she smashed her thumbs into every single bun she was about to bake. And thus the Huffkin was born. Now, I do remember from a past episode of The Things That Made England, one of our members, Paul Godden, is from Faversham. So perhaps he can confirm the continued presence of the Huffkin in local pubs. I'm afraid I haven't been in Kent for about a decade, but I believe that the Kentish Huffkin can still be found in many a pub in East Kent so it really should be half gin of Kent, usually served instead of the usual bread in a ploughman's lunch.
0: Very good. Right. Well, I should have to make sure I get down there um, as quick as possible. So the
2: traditional tea cake uh, is
0: small and light, not terribly sweet, but laced with fruit and spice to be cut in half, toasted and slathered with butter. Is that OK this time?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely.
0: Butter and a toast tea cake uh, and jam in my idiom uh so this <laughs> by the so by that time it's quite impossible to taste any of the flavors of all the spices I, uh, and eat it in enormous quantities because you know they're just they're just little things what, nothing to what it. is it
2: with you and jam <laughs> oh,
0: i have a big passion for. you have a thing about
2: jam i mean you know not get to my shape
0: without eating you
2: really have a thing about jam
0: you have to put jam
2: on virtually everything
0: Yes, and butter, of course.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, butter, I understand on a tea cake, but I don't need jam on my. You don't tea need cake. jam.
0: Mm. Okay, but Absolutely everything's better not. with jam as well. Jam, butter, butter and jam, everything. Mm.
2: Okay.
0: Okay, so I thought I'd finish off this episode, Fiona, with a sort of flyby of buns that are a little more obscure. Uh, this is no way uh, supposed to be a scientific or, God forbid, a comprehensive list. But, Am I going uh, to have
2: heard of any of them? <laughs> I don't know. You can tell
0: me, actually. I hadn't, I don't think. Oh. Uh, um. Well, certainly I hadn't heard of the first one, which are wigs. Can
2: you ever Never have heard of Never no.
0: heard of a wig, no. Popper in the 18th century, apparently, originating in the 15th, which is quite a long time ago, as another one of those end-of-Lent treats. So they're yeast leavened, They're spiced tea cakes. The word wig comes from a German word, Weig, for a wedge. So they were probably meant to be triangular. So I think the way it's done, is you make a big round super bun, then you slice up the super buns in the proving stage. So they're then easily separated into four triangular parts. A tear and share. Kind of like a tear and share, indeed. Yes, that's. I don't think that uh, marketing slogan appears in the history of the wig but maybe it should the wig is flavored by seeds the caraway seed seems to be a favorite mm. some of them also call for sack oh no you know i went through years of suffering the least amusing of characters in english literary history who is of course what and pistol and pistol I mean, shoot those guys um <laughs> before they start talking because they're just not funny um <laughs> i went suffered falstaff and pestle pistol without ever knowing what sack was <laughs> but i now know that it's a sort of sweet sherry-like drink things you learn yeah from yep. doing the things that made england Falstaff
2: yeah, you know. is tedious isn't he
0: oh <laughs> terrible shush now yeah but you know Okay, there are recipes for wigs out there, and I have, I think I'm going to provide a link on the website, or the Facebook site, whatever. Now for other obscure buns, back down to Devon and Cornwall. That pair, as I say, do make me laugh, because they can't (laughs) do things in quite the same way. You know, there's miles between them, they're right next door. But they have to pretend that what each is doing is entirely different across the border. So It's that Tay.
2: It's is that, that River Thing eh, divides them.
0: So what we've got here is the Cornish split. Right. And it's a, equivalent to Devonshire Chudley. Right. So as far as I can see, your Cornish split is just a small sweet bun, no flavourings, and essentially a good vehicle for the most important things in life, which, as we now know, are butter and jam. Oh, butter
2: and jam. <laughs>
0: yes, absolutely right. And then you've got the Devonshire Chudley, which is a very attractive name, I think, isn't it? Chudley. Although Chudley doesn't appear in the Oxford English Dictionary, so I assume it refers to the town in Devon, Chudley. So here's, this is what Elizabeth David has to say about Chudley. These are made in the same manner as the Cornish split, but are smaller. So there you go.
2: I know both Devon and Cornwall really, really well. And I know Cornish splits can't remember encountering a chudley which maybe i was just in the wrong part of devon my grandmother lived in devon and i just never encountered a chudley So
0: try not mention that to somebody from devon from devon because they might get shirty right so this was that is the end of this episode we have one more when we will move on to crumpets uh, and muffins uh, which I was found a little bit confusing. <laughs> so that is Salafin. Before we go, though,
2: Luke will be doing a roundup for us. So over to Luke.
1: David and Fiona are playing fast and loose with traditions with their buns, not only giving us a previously unseen multi-part series, but also is chewing the vote. I don't know where to begin. Will I even have enough material to fill this roundup? Let's see what I can unearth from our Facebook page. Stephanie Lynn posted the famous John of Gaunt, This Septed Isle speech from Richard II. Great speech, if a little pompous. Rob wants steam, and really what Rob wants, Rob should get. Marilyn and Naturalised Kiri kindly pointed out that the England men's team's resounding loss to India in the cricket means that the first ever Test World Cup final will be between New Zealand and India. Luckily, by being profoundly rubbish, England managed to prevent Australia reaching the final, which is the important thing. But Marilyn did give us a post on England women beating the Kiwis, which is great. Speaking of cricket, we seem to have got poor Eric in a bit of a tizzy. Being the valiant soul he is, he has decided to school himself in the greatest sport ever. I'm not sure he has quite got it all sorted yet. Keep at it, Eric, and watch out for the googlies. We did have some fun welcoming Catherine as our member number 666. Catherine, I hope you were amused by the fanfare and didn't just think we were profoundly weird. Since then, we've had more people to welcome, including Bishop Emmanuel, a real bishop, I think, Nicole and two mates of mine, Claudio and Tali. It's great to see our Facebook group growing and please do come and join us. But really, this period has been all about food. And specifically, buns. Let's start with the buns. First out of the gates were Foe and AJ, with some rustic-looking hot cross buns. Foe wasn't convinced that she wouldn't have been better off just going to the supermarket. Then Michelle gave us some bath buns, which looked incredible, and gained high praise from her in-house taster. Betty Lou made some proper Tudor jumbles, and when Betty Lou says proper, she means it. She recreates historical food as a hobby, And, as all this food seems to be accompanied by booze at any hour of the day, it sounds like a jolly good hobby. Leanne got a to-dunk or not-to-dunk debate going with her cake rusks. Joe and son showed some great teamwork and produced some yummy-looking hot cross buns. Cooking with a child is a wonderful bonding experience, and I think Joe and his lad have been doing quite a bit over lockdown. But we do want more buns from you all. Please get baking. But if you really can't be bothered, you could just follow Wayne's lead and post a picture of something you popped in the toaster and accompany it with delectable-sounding marketing copy. But it wasn't actually buns that got the most interaction. We had a full and frank discussion about international bun habits when David wondered aloud about why Grandpa Walton used to put gravy on his biscuits, which kicked off a Facebook thread that currently stands at 213 comments, So come on over to the Facebook page to read it in all its glory. You can also find a meandering tale that Catherine dubbed The Story of Many Barons that involved my old chum, Claudio, entering stage right. We had a lot of fun across multiple continents and time zones on that one. And now for some announcements. The Things That Made England has a Patreon page. www.patreon.com forward slash ttme We have got three tiers, executive producer, official patron, and the hat going round, so that anyone keen to support can choose a tier that suits them best. We have little to offer other than our blood, toil, tears, and sweat. But more than anything, you'll be receiving our undying gratitude and a mention on the show. We would like to thank our executive producers, Marilyn, Eric, and Michelle, and also to thank our very dear Rowena Card, long-time fan and all-round good egg, who is now an official patron, thereby giving her licence to cause no end of nuisance, alongside Joseph, who has very generously decided to up his contribution. After the resounding success of our Bunfight event with David Crowther, we are pleased to announce that we will be doing a soiree with our other founding father, Royfield Brown the godfather of podcasts. It will be on March the 27th, exact time to be announced, but roughly early evening UK, midday Eastern time, early morning Pacific, and something truly dreadful for our dear Antipodeans. I do hope you can join us.
2: Okay, everybody, thanks for listening and uh, goodbye, see you next time. Goodbye and see you next time.
1: Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. And these are the things that made England. England! And Saint George!
2: These are the things that made England.